Welcome to the Eat Local CNY podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And in this week's conversation, this week's podcast, I'm sitting down and talking with Adam from the Salt City Market. Well, Adam is currently working over on the Salt City Market, but if you are familiar with the pop-up dinners that were called My Lucky Tummy or familiar with the restaurant With Love, then I'm sure that you're familiar with Adam and his work. For the past number of years, he's been working with different groups of people all around Syracuse to bring some very unique cuisines and dinner experiences to Syracuse. And so now Adam is overworking with the Salt City Market and helping them develop their food hall program uh, that they're going to have. It's a really great concept and great project that they're putting on and that they're building over there. So you can head over to saltcitymarket.com and get more information or find Salt City Market on Facebook and Instagram. I had such a great time sitting down and talking with Adam, and I cannot wait for some more of these food events that they have. They're doing some pop-up dinners in the meantime before Salt City Market gets open next fall. So make sure that you check them out and see when those dinners are happening. A huge shout out to our sponsor for this episode, Sriracha Cues, has launched their Sriracha Box. The Sriracha Box is the club for foodies who love heat, flavor, and Syracuse. Now you can enjoy a taste of hometown heat and flavor delivered right to your doorstep no matter where you live. Each Sriracha Box features popular sauces from Sriracha Cues and includes favorites like the Maple Garlic, the Maple Ghost, Sauces from Empire Beer and Recess Coffee, two companies who are on the Eat Local CNY card. They also have the Syracuse Wing and Spicy Barbecue Sauces, along with other spicy specialty foods from other local Syracuse, New York artisans. Head over to SrirachaBox.com today and get your hands on your Sriracha Box subscription. That's S-Y-R-A-C-H-A-B-O-X.com. And a special exclusive for all you Eat Local CNY podcast listeners, you can now get $10 off your first box when you use code EATLOCALCNY10 at checkout. That's EATLOCALCNY, the number 10 at checkout over at SrirachaBox.com. A huge shout out to Sriracha Cues for being a sponsor here on the Eat Local CNY podcast. It means a lot. It's a big step in a podcaster's life when they get a when they get their first sponsor and uh, really huge shout out over to Sriracha Q. So make sure that you head over there and check them out. Don't forget that we have a huge party happening October 11th. That's a Friday night from 6 to 9 p.m. over at IBU Brewery. We are so excited for this. It's the official kickoff launch party, whatever you want to call it, for the new Eat Local CMY card. The point is it's just going to be fun and it's going to be delicious. We're going to have four food trucks there. We're going to have the area's only motorcycle ice cream trailer. That sounds weird, but basically it's an ice cream cart that this guy has rigged to be pulled behind his motorcycle. It's pretty awesome. They're going to be there. We are going to have the local CMY card. We're going to have Helping Hounds there with some of their rescue dogs for us to hang out with and play with and love on. It's just going to be a great time. It's $30 to get in for 30 bucks. Not only do you get dinner from any one of the four food trucks that you want, you get two beers from inside IBU, and you get the new Eat Local CNY card. This is a huge value. 
and we hope that you can show up and attend and just have a great time with us. And a huge announcement, we have the band Los Blancos is going to be performing live at this party. So Friday, October 11th from 6 to 9 p.m. at IBU. You can head over to eatlocalcmy.com today and pick up your tickets. Got to get your tickets in advance, though, but I hope you can make it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Adam from the Salt City Market. of auditions for the market or two rounds of recruitment rather okay. that feed into auditions and we just wrapped our second round of interviews we did one in the spring and this is like my fall round so i just found out like who my 10 people are that i'm working with okay um, so that's cool for the first round of the market for the second round for the second already, round yeah okay and so what happens is there's the first round mm-hmm. which i've been working with and then the second round and then then in january it's like the two converge and we have final interviews and see who gets a stall uh, I don't know if it might be meant, I mean, it might be helpful to sort of visit my lucky tummy and with yeah. love. Do yeah. you know anything about those? Yeah. I've got, okay. th- I've got those questions. On okay, there. cool. Yeah. For Just sure. to sort of like, you know, yeah, I mean, I hate to say that it follows, you know, I don't know if you ever do this. Um, but I, if I start doing something, I'm, then I like kind of get into it. Uh, I'm like, wait, am I just copying something that somebody else did? Mm. You know? And so I think about that a lot with the format of the podcast. Yeah. Because there's, I don't know if you get into podcasts a whole heck of a lot, but there's so yeah. many podcasts out there where it's yeah. this format. You bring somebody on that you want to learn more about or introduce yeah. your, and it's just, hey, who are you? You know, it's that same format. So I'm always trying to tweak some of the stuff, but a lot of it's just the same old conversation or questions you hear asked on every other podcast. Who are we can, you? We you can, know? we can also go away from that format. Yeah. I don't care. Okay, I like that when I watch something or hear podcasts and somebody's like, "Uh, you have, you have this thing you're working on, but like, you've been around a lot. Let's talk about." Yeah, I'm really intrigued. <laughs> I mean, of all the stuff, so before somebody comes on, I just Google the heck out of them. Oh, that's good. And read everything that I can. Um, and so I was really intrigued. I was surprised by one of the articles. I forget if it was last year or the year before that. Um, where they were talking about when you started My Lucky Tummy or before that when you first moved here that you originally looked in Ithaca. Is that right? Yeah. And what blew me away was that you, I think, I'm pretty sure the article said you didn't find as much talent in Ithaca as you did in Syracuse or as much, I think, I believe the word they used was talent, but overall. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, there's types of talent. There's a very specific thing I was looking for. Okay. Ithaca, I I didn't know much about upstate. You know, I was like, we're down in Brooklyn and yeah. you, you think you're the center of the universe, right? <laughs> like, cause I still have friends be like, Oh, how's it in Canada? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I had a girlfriend in Ithaca years ago. She's going to grad school there. So I'd visited town. I was like, okay, like that town, that's that, that demographic mm-hmm. like would get the product that I'm trying to promote. Yeah. The, the experience I'm trying to promote. So, right. I didn't know anywhere else really. Yeah. Like, Let's do there. Cause my wife was like, we gotta get out of Brooklyn cause we ain't got no money. I feel like if you're, um, Oh man, how could I, uh, I don't know the right word to use here. Um, if you're more artistic 
and more looking for like a progressive culture. Ithaca, if you're in upstate New York, is like the place to be. Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine who used to live in uh, San Francisco says it's the San Francisco of oh my God, though. New York. San Francisco. <laughs> oh, wait, should I not swear on this? No, you can do whatever you okay, want. Great. Yeah. Um, fuck. Berkeley? Oh, I was really sick in Berkeley. I had the shits really? like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, I had some bad Ethiopian food. I had bad... I got sick on Ethiopian food on Berkeley, and I got sick on Ethiopian food. Um, Kitfo, like the steak mm, tartare, yeah. in Chicago. And we were like, we're driving with our children to Chicago and back yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. And like, just as we're like exiting the city, I'm like, <laughs> started to barf. <laughs> so 12 hours. My wife has an interview the next morning. I was like, babe, you got to drive. I'm just going to puke. <laughs> um, is, there a pl- is there ever a place where you'll go in and say, yeah, I'm not going to have that here? I think honestly, the only thing I've ever said no to is monkey. Mm. And that was literally in um, Eastern Cameroon okay. where nobody's, I don't think, um, uh, uh, what's the, what's the term? Epidemiologists think that AIDS started in the jaw forest yeah. because people were consuming under, you know, like bushmeat under, undercooked. And and so the, the jump for that zoonosis, right. For, for the HIV virus um, they think that's where it happened. And I was like, I really want to, but, and it was outside of a gas. It was just, I guess that's fine. It's like you, everybody sells their meat outside of gas stations. Right. Like, and I was like, I bought meat outside of gas stations. Right. Um, but there was just like, you're just too close to me. Yeah. Like the monkey. It's no, like I, the I, if, if I knew it was well prepared, I, yeah. but I just was like, I, I just, I'm, I'm nervous. It's like the, have you ever seen the movie with Nick Cage, uh, Lord of war where he's, so no. he's an arms dealer. Okay. And he's in like Cameroon or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's known for like being a playboy, running around, sleeping with all these women, all these countries it goes to and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So he's in this, you know, whatever crazy village in Africa. And the people like the military he's selling <clears throat> arms to send him two prostitutes to his hotel room that night. <clears throat> and it, the whole dialogue in this scene is his inner dialogue of, of course, this is like such a trick. Like you're going to send me two prostitutes from like the worst AIDS ridden por- part uh-huh. of the world without a condom in place and where he would typically sleep with whoever he doesn't oh. that night. Hmm. And you, that you not eating monkey. It's like the culinary version of that. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. It's tricky though, because it's like it's hard to talk about that stuff and not slip into sort of like being a you know white imperialist racist fuck, yes. right? So, Cameroon, but Cameroon was like, and like, and I, I, I'm always nervous about talking about. I get really nervous working with people's food, and like, if I'm ever like leveraging, because I do sometimes like leverage something that's like crazy. We're having camel, you know. <laughs> I always try to do that carefully. Mm-hmm. I like the gimmickry of it. Mm-hmm. It helps. It really does help to do it once in a while, but also to sort of like watch that shit closely, watch myself, watch the responses yeah. with people mm. more like I'm really, if somebody's like enthusiastic about it, like that's great. But I also, I also right. try to leaven that with like, uh, there's these, like these, uh, these three Somali sisters that are fucking hoot. And we're driving around. I was sick when I had food poisoning. I was driving them around. This is a theme. But my daughter was in the back, and um, 
Anissa Ayan, I can't remember the third girl's name, but like, uh, they're so great. So we're driving around and we drove and they we were talking about like how to preserve camel and like, we were just talking kind of about like the politics of like presenting camel as an oddity. Right. And then we drove by dinosaur <laughs> and they saw the pig in the window. They're like, Oh, uh, they started gagging. <laughs> and it's just so funny. Cause I was like, Oh, this is great. You just, I'm like, yeah. So you tell the story of like, yeah, camel's weird, but it's not as fucking weird as pig. Some people eat pig. Like, and just how we, or I got in this conversation with, with a grocer at uh, Vietnam about like her crickets. And, mm. and I was like, uh, I don't like those, like the carapace is too crunchy. Yeah. I, like, I don't like that. Like, yeah. you know what I like? I like tarantula. Hmm. And she was like, oh, gross. <laughs> and it's like, we're all sort of freaked out by each other. Yeah. But like in a sweet way. Right. Like, and I, so that's, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you, th- I mean, when you really get into it, especially the way that, you know, nowadays in our area, more and more attention to where your food comes from and yeah. how it's raised and where it's raised and who's raising it. And yeah, you really, when you really think about it, especially mass produced food, meat of any sort, yeah, uh, but especially pig is disgusting. It's really, really now. Yeah. 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 Gross. It's, it's. And uh, yeah, somebody oof. might look at camel and think, oh, that's so gross, but it's better in most ways i would imagine than mass-produced pork i think also with like a but also with like a camel or any mammal right like any animal really that you're not used to, you're kind of like so used to having chicken and pork and like the yeah. conditions are fucking horrible right? right but you feel like i don't know that's in my repertoire whereas if like i have to stop to think about an animal like mm-hmm. okay that's not off stage anymore like i have to think about that differently yeah like buffalo right behind that bison right behind you i was like right. okay that'd be tasty but like people are like wait like they stop and think about the mechanics of the of the yeah. of the slaughter, and I think that oh is is shocking to people. Yeah. I mean, I had to go. Jeez, um, I had to go. A friend of mine, um, I was begging her to cook with me for like years, and she's like, "I'll only cook with you if until you can if you can get fresh pig's blood." Hmm. And I was like, "Sure, I can get fresh pig." I called around, nobody would like provided it was like a real problem yeah right you can get beef blood but yeah. pig's blood was really a problem and hmm. so i did, found this guy they're like don't tell anybody because it's not kind of on dl um uh and we i went up to candigua or canastota i can't remember but he's like I'll, I'll let you ca-, you know i'll get you the blood um so i thought i was just gonna go and like get a bucket of blood from him right and i had on my like new hipster white leather shoes that i just <laughs> bought and he's like all right here we go. You got to hold, you know, you, you, you hold the bucket with one hand. I'm like, I got these white shoes. And he just looks at me, this Amish dude. And he's just like, Oh my God, you're such a joke. Yeah, you know? Hilarious. And he, uh, but we had fun, yeah. funny chat. Um, but we made this beautiful blood sausage with it. Um, really, really gorgeous. Like I cried a little bit when I ate it. It was like, I think one of the five best things I've ever eaten. Really? Oh God. It was like, hmm. had like a flotilla of Thai basil and Vietnamese coriander, lemongrass in it that her yeah. mom had been up all night doing because hmm. the vitamix yeah couldn't do it right and just to see the blood actually the yeah. gorgeous right but the slaughter of the pig was it'd been a while yeah. um and um or i have my you know it's just quite sh- like shocking like, yeah holy shit i yucky two years ago i live on the north side and uh-huh. i was very fortunate the house i bought i bought because there was an empty lot next to me and I was very fortunate in that I bought that empty lot from a nonprofit in town for $1. Uh-huh. And so for the north side, it's very rare to have 
the size yard I have. Wow, cool. And so I was, I thought, well, what do I want to do with this? I was like, maybe I'll put up a table and invite chefs in and do like two eat local CMY dinners a year for like 20 of our followers. Yeah. Maybe I'll build a dog park. Maybe I'll put up a, you know, like projection screen and do like community movie nights. Yeah. Like I had all these ideas. <clears throat> One of them involved uh, growing something and raising something. Uh-huh. And so I was like looking at chickens, won't work for the city. So right. I thought rabbits, I'll do rabbits. Okay. I spent like two months researching how to raise rabbits. Uh-huh. And the plan was to then use them for meat right. and, you know, have it be a sustainable thing. And when I got into like the progression of YouTube videos of like how to build a rabbit pen, uh, what to feed them, how to clean their area. And then I was like, yeah, this is great. This is great. This is great to how to slaughter them. And I was like, nah, can't do it. There's no way in hell I can do that. No way in hell can I take a rabbit and do that. I don't know if I could do that with any animal, but that was the first time in my life that I was tasked or you know like had to choose the dilemma of could i raise this animal to kill it interesting where you grow up no oh, all over okay like pacific northwest new england okay bouncing back and forth um uh but uh like every year it was somewhere new yeah like with very little notice hmm. um and so um I don't know, we had this we had this cocker spaniel we had this duck and we had this cat with its tail broken off and the three of them were just they loved each other. They'd sleep hmm. together. They'd wrestle with each other. <laughs> but then you had these two rabbits. And I remember the rabbits were like, I'm not having any of that. Right. They were so mean. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I, uh, it was like the week before I started watching the videos. I had I have a good friend of mine who is a stay at home dad. Uh-huh. And uh, his name is Alan. His nickname is Junkie Joe. Don't ask me why. Oh. And Alan sits home and chain smokes and drinks PBR on the weekends, like it's water, you know, uh-huh. and that's his life. Uh-huh. And he's one of the best cooks I've ever met before. I mean, he can uh-huh. make anything like, wow. he'll just start researching Indian uh-huh. food. And two weeks later, he's made some of the best Indian food that I've ever had. Granted, I've never been to India, but you know, for the States, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. And he does that with all these different, you know, cuisines. And so, I was like, Alan, I'm thinking about raising rabbits, but I've never had, I've never eaten one before. Yeah. If I go buy some rabbits, will you cook something with it? And so he did, and he made Haas and Pfeffer mm-hmm. and like made the Spetzel himself and did everything. Mm-hmm. And eating it, I was, I had to like kind of shift like, okay, this isn't chicken. This is a rabbit. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, all right, I think I could do it. I think I could, you know, put rabbit into my diet if I had you know, a number of them that all of a sudden I had to kill. And then that next week it was like, I wonder how you kill a rabbit. And then it was, no, I couldn't do it. And I get made fun of all the time when I tell people I once thought about raising rabbits. Huh? I think it's easier to clean them though. Yeah, I'm sure. Slides it, right off. Yeah. Yes. That there is that. It was just more so the actual act of killing it. Yeah. You know, and a lot yeah. of, and most of the ways that like homesteaders who were doing this, they have this board, as gruesome as this sounds, they have this board that's like oh, with the, yeah. a slot that fit the neck fits in. Sure. And you just twist the neck and it's dead. And that was the thing, that was the biggest thing that I was like, I can't do that. Mm. There's no way in hell I could do that. Mm. I've cleaned chickens before. I've like defeathered a chicken when I was in Grenada. 
Um, no problem with that. But the chicken was already dead. Yeah. There's this meat market up in the Bronx. Um, and I hadn't been to it when this guy told me about it. But I was, there's this wonderful festival. I don't think it goes any, on anymore in Queens called the Mogio Burmese Food Festival. Hmm. And you'll go, it's breathtaking. It is, it's one of the best experiences of my life, right? Like there's got to be like really like a hundred stalls selling wow. Burmese food. And so like you've got this incredible country with cuisines that people are not conversant in hmm. um, and with all these crazy influences, right? Because of what you're, yeah. who you're butting up against geographically. And so you've got everything from like, the most this Sean Tohu that I like went back for three times and like they sell you little red tickets at the front. You walk around and there's thousands of people, hmm. but I met this guy and it's like everybody shows up. It's just like in a school gymnasium, but it's hmm. amazing, amazing festival. And I ran into this guy, like a uh, middle-aged white dude, like kind of like kind of had a classic New York accent, you know, FDNY t-shirt on just like didn't, he seemed more like honestly, like if you met him on the street, in the cultural moment we're in right now, you're like, that guy's MAGA, right? <laughs> totally MAGA. And so then he's telling me, he's like, oh my God, I just was up at this uh, meat market up in the Bronx, like this live animal market. Um, and he was talking about this family from Cote d'Ivoire and like the whole family went into the pen with a goat uh, before they did the slaughter and the way that kids, everybody in the family like laid their hands on the goat and there was mm-hmm. and this moment that he saw of like, you know, real like gratitude and cognizance of what was happening mm-hmm. and how they were all present for that. And then, you know, then the slaughter happened. It was just like, and he said like, that was such the norm there in this, in this mm. live animal market. And I've, I've, that stayed with me. And I've talked to folks since then, particularly, you know, people I work with uh, for a while here were mostly arrived as refugees. And I kept hearing like, mm. Ugh, your meat is so gross. Like the way you <laughs> Americans eat meat is gross. Like all, I don't have a lot of money but we'll all make it out to the farm because hmm. I don't want it like, yeah. And then you see people are like, you acclimate and you're like, okay, you know, after a few years, we're like, nah, it's yeah. Uh, now I just eat your gross stuff and right. You know, but yeah. that initial reaction of, yeah. Yeah. Yuck. Yuck. It's, um, it's amazing. The difference, you know, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast a lot and especially whenever he starts talking about elk uh-huh. and you know, it, especially to hear him talk about everything you get from that meat yeah. um, is it just floors me. It just blows me away. I just want to learn more about those things. Yeah. And I had a conversation when I first started the business with uh, this guy named Victor Ramirez, who he has this restaurant in Wampsville, which is out like Canastota. Okay. And yeah, his name sounds familiar. It's called Madison Bistro and Victor. I mean, how I, mean, I know how he lives there. His wife, they got married in Texas. He's from Texas. He's from uh-huh. like San Antonio. Meets his wife out there. They get married. They move back to Wampsville, where she's from. So I know how he gets there, but he shouldn't okay. be there because he's like, it's just his food. It's unreal that it's in Wampsville, New York. But he's the first person that ever taught me about like how the, an animal is uh, killed and how that affects the taste of the meat. And so... He was hmm. saying like all of the beef that he gets, he buys it from this farm and then very specifically make sure that it like gets transferred over to this processing place yeah. where the cow can sit and relax for a few days. It's not yeah. just, you know, slaughtered right away Yeah, and how those like, because the animals relaxed and all that kind of stuff, it makes such a difference. Yeah. I think Otherwise that, it's hell on, it's hell on earth. I mean, it's got, right. it's gotta be the, yeah, it's, I, it's, yeah. 
I think that makes a difference in even the, those cultural ways like you're talking about, like the whole family is involved in it or putting that attention into the animal or maybe that respect. I don't know, you know how you would phrase yeah. it, but that has to make a huge difference in the taste of that food. You know, I don't know if that's just the respect for it. I don't know if anybody who's like busy running between meetings could stop and see that on the side of the road and have an immediate appreciation for the way that people are putting care and love and like cultural significance into their food. Or if you really have to be open to it, but it affects things. It does, but we're up against this like efficiency thing, you know, we're up against the like, I got to check my phone. I got to get to this. I got to do that. You know, and, and that, you know, the, the more sort of, I don't know if I want to call it languorous, you know, but waiting for buses to pick me up mm-hmm. in, in West Africa, it's just a different pace of things. And I imagine that that probably has got to be a better backdrop for being more, I don't even know if people are conscious in that foofy way. Yeah. But... It does probably affect your thinking to not have all of it be so off stage. Yeah. Right. And like there were prepackaged things. I mean, like, I don't know if there's a place on the planet right now that you can't get Pringles. Right. Um, but process was way more everywhere I've been that I could think of process is just way more in your face. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the first things I noticed about going abroad is that so much, it's closed up here so much as I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. things that are really interesting yeah, we're, are not on display. Right. I think that goes beyond food and beyond slaughtering animals. Yeah. I think when it comes to, like you talk about efficiency, honestly, I think to do anything extraordinary, you can't do it on a large scale. Mm. I think of, have you been to Defi before? Here in Syracuse. DP? Uh, Defi. Cody and Nick. Oh, no, I haven't been there, but okay. yeah, yeah. Um, even like Rich now at Eden, um, places like that. Alex at Amano, he has quite a, a large uh, restaurant, but I don't think by design. Um, but they're doing extraordinary things in, ter- in food. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nick and Cody are making blood sausage and, yeah. you know, Rebecca, my fiance, and I went there for dinner one night and she doesn't like adventurous things and I'm sitting down saying, if you're cooking it for me, I'll have whatever you think I should have. I don't care what it is. Yeah. So her venison didn't have pig's blood. Mine did. And they're, so they're doing just wonderful things there with food. Right. I don't think they could do that on a large scale with a 300 seat restaurant. Yeah. And I guess it's the, it's a trick here. Right. I mean, because you're also not going to eat there every day. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't imagine what they're up against trying to sort of assess the market and say, yeah, can this happen? Yeah. Right. I don't know their numbers, but I, I hope that they're making can it, it happen yeah. in perpetuity. Yes. You know? Um, and not the things I have to have in, in perpetuity. I mean, I've been, I mean, some of the best things I've ever been involved with were, well, this would not be the same if we were doing it right all the time. It's special. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But it does worry me a little. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a yeah, maybe an extreme case, right? Because that's so exquisite, right? Do you think that's what you were creating with my lucky tummy? Were those special moments? Yeah, I come from events. I don't like restaurants. Yeah. Restaurants are. I'm. I. I. 
Gosh, I really struggle. I because um, I spent almost twenty years doing events down in New York, and the nature of events is you're really spoiled. Um, you move around all the time. It's always a new client, a new venue, a new team, a new uh, thing that you're you know involved with, and it's always it was often something very interesting. Um, uh, yeah, you're not going to like one necessarily client and doing a different event every month for them. No, this was wildly different. Like I, uh, to give you an example, like I was produ- I was doing a three day event for, for Krug, the champagne house and like mm. just getting these beautiful, mm. uh, beautiful auction piece, mm. you know, thousand to $4,000 bottles and like getting to taste those and like talk with the people that were, you know, in the fields and, uh, that was like so cool. And then like the next day I had a book signing for the Kardashian sisters <laughs> on the Upper East side. And that evening I had a, um, a fundraiser, uh, a, a big, big fundraiser in Brooklyn at the brewery for, um, survivors and sort of community builders in Burundi and Rwanda, you know, post genocide. Hmm. Right. So you're just like, Holy <laughs> shit. That's, that's a diverse yeah, that's two a, days. Yeah. Right. Um, and I can't tell you like how, that was so great in events. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got sort of spoiled thinking like I, for variety. And Mm -hmm. then I also had a job that allowed me to not come to work for a couple months when I didn't feel like it and just say like, I'm going to go to India. Don't call me, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, I just was, I don't think I realized it enough at the time, but I was really spoiled that it was always something new. And that's Mm -hmm. why I like events so much. Yeah. Cause you don't have your, I mean, yeah, you don't have your, your SOPs are a little wonky, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, but they're pretty good, but they're a little wonky because you're not in the, you know, you're not like a lockstep brigade or something at right. a restaurant, right? But like, I guess you have, you have your things yeah. that you follow offsite, but it's always like tweak. You always have to adjust, right? Um, it's, it's, there's a lot more like variability than in mm-hmm. a restaurant setting. I, I've, yeah. I've found, um, it's never slow, right? Um, never slow. And just new and 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 so that's what i really liked about uh my lucky tummy is that it was always new and it was also the lead up to it i mean i'd only do two of those events a year and some years i did like four and they never made money mm-hmm. like are people you know i'd get these angry emails sometimes from people like maybe you know lefter than thou mm-hmm. and i'm pretty left right <laughs> but they're like you're making money off refugees and taking advantage and i'm like i think you've gone full circle i think you've just hmm. uh, have you seen my messaging or you're just assuming that these are naive yeah. people it's like hmm. these are like circumstances went haywire for a lot for everybody i worked with or or they were born into haywire or maybe they weren't you know maybe War came to Baghdad in 2003 and you were upper middle class. Like there's a ver- wide range right. of experiences. And a lot of times folks will be like, well, what are you doing with the refugees? As though it's like a club. And it's like, <laughs> it's such a weird way to look at people. Um, I get it. I get it. Um, and I probably slipped into some of that language myself, you know. Uh, but um, but leading up to those parties, you know, let's even if you have just two a year, it would I mean, I can't even tell you how many people's homes I've been in, in. Mm-hmm. like late at night usually, like, and it always felt like the secret thing, mm-hmm. like only we get to do this. And like, <laughs> you're going to show me this thing. It's like kind of intimate, like, 
Um, I'm going to sit on the floor with your family. We're going to talk about, you know, oftentimes very tender things, you know, things that you, you know, whether that's, you know, horrors that you've endured or things that you like, what I always try to steer it towards is like, what do you, you know, what do you like to keep with you? What, like, what is that? Like, what has that sort of nostalgic heft for you? Right. And it's often came to food, right? Um, I use the example of like la, uh, la pet doc. So la pet is a uh, 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 pickled tea leaves, right? And it's it's endemic to Burma. You get a little bit in Malaysia, but that's because Burmese are bringing it there. So they pickle their tea leaves, and they it's it's, it's they think of it as a dessert. That's usually how it's phrased, like after your meal. Mm. Um, but it's got this, and then you sort of sometimes mix it with shrimp powder and peanuts and fried legumes. Like it's this awesome. Hmm. Very surprising, very complicated um, experience to like eat it. I love it, right? Um, it's expensive though to get the good stuff back from. So one of my one of my grocers, um, Pa, she goes back to Burma once a year, and she'll get it in, and she's got to flip it for like twenty five bucks a pound for a bag. So if you're on EBT, you'd be like, <laughs> no way, I'm going to buy something for twenty five bucks a pound. People buy it, and then they they nurse it right? And we're not a culture of nursing things, right? They're like, give me the big thing and let me chug it, right? <laughs> and then smash it on my forehead. America, right? So this notion of like buying something really exquisite and then just sort of like yeah, taking little tastes of it um, and, and the sort of the memory and then the sort of safety and, and pleasure invested in that, mm-hmm. that's just one example of, of many that I could think of. Yeah. And having it all behind closed doors at, late at night, I also feel there's like these scenes in like Brothers Karamazov, mm-hmm. where they're like plotting things. <laughs> I always felt like, I always came back to like, this feels like we're like plotting something. Because we were sort of plotting, yeah. like how can we scale this up to 400 and right. what will people think of it and how do we, you know, all this stuff. And hmm. oh, I loved it. What did your parents do for a living? I'm just really curious, like... Uh, yeah. Going, like... Doing what you do isn't normal. I don't think. Oh, it's pretty normal now, I guess. It's less normal. It's more normal now. Well, I get, okay, let's, I mean, maybe you're through the journey of my lucky tummy and with love and into this. And, and well, I mean, let's be honest, like connecting with, it's not, maybe not, normal is a horrible word. It's not very common. It's not common, I think, yeah. in today's climate to have someone that's going to be going to these people from different parts of the world well aware of that right Right. there's a scene that sticks in my mind i was on 35th street on the west side a few years ago traveling between events and it was actually when i was living up here and i was traveling on the weekends to run events and then come back up Hmm. um that was my my that was my gig right yeah um uh which was hard to do as a parent but like whatever we all make it work right right but i was on west 35th street the kind of office block and there's just these like old Older fellows, short sleeve, there's something classic about a short sleeve shirt with a tie, <laughs> um, you know, and slacks, yeah. slacks, you know, out there for their smoke break. <laughs> and there were just like a line of them. It was just like a picture. It was just like some sort of like, not Edward Hopper, but something yeah. sort of like, just like, we're all very lonely and we're just dr- taking a drag on this thing. And, <laughs> and um, it's just that picture of like, that kid is going to go back upstairs and he's just going to push some papers 
and his office is beige. It's got to be beige, right? <laughs> um, and he's got it. Just and I listen. I, I I just looked at that and I thought, gosh, that's normal because we're mm. we're doing. I think so many. It's again this sort of like you know the the cult of efficiency. Yeah. Right. Um. And 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 uh. Uh, a lot of times when I was doing events and I had to get into a building and I'm not, I don't want to say like a judgment, judgmental person, but like a lot of times I, f- I worked getting access to some of these buildings, particularly some of the high security ones, like at the UN or like down by ground zero, you often had folks that were like, I'm really boxed in. I'm part of a large system, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like in this honeycomb and I can't really exert any sort of agency or power. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any hmm. pressures on, well, I have pressures, but like, Listen, these just did not look like interesting jobs. Right. Right. Um, and I think most jobs are pretty boring. Hmm. And that's what I tell my kids. I was like, you got to figure out a way to have an interesting job because that's going to be most of your hours. So that's huh. your main thing you got to think about. Like, How old are your kids? Four and seven. Okay. I was like, because you could, the, the risk here is that like you could be really bored. Yeah. Right. And what a luxurious, like first world thing to get to say, like, right. as opposed to like the, fir- the risk being you'll starve. Yeah. Right. But, um, <laughs> that is a, that is a, yeah, that is a risk. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, you know, I, I've been saying this thing, uh, lately about how I, I, it's like a, something, just something I say to myself, keep telling myself I'm soft. So like, don't do this. That's soft. Mm. And I get it from Gary Vaynerchuk. And, you know, one of the things he always, he'll say from time to time in his videos is if you're out buying a $9 coffee, you're soft. Yeah. And yeah. I started this, don't do that. That's soft. You know, like you, like you have to be, you have to be more, um, uh, not dedicated, but you have to be more deliberate about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I'm financially like doing okay right now. Yeah. And was and and a lot of people I work with are not. Yeah. And I wasn't until relatively recently. Hmm. And so I do think about those soft things, especially yeah. consumables. Yeah. It's like, oh <laughs> oh what are you like yeah, a little shocked at myself yeah. when I when it when I do it. Yeah. I yeah. It's uh and it's like you're talking about, you know, it's the consumer give me the biggest version of it so I can have it very quickly mentality of, I don't care what the money is or versus, you know, someone who's out there doing this because they have to, to survive. You know, I I think I'm pretty snooty Mm -hmm. about the bigger, sexier, pricier stuff. Okay. Like I'm always like to poke a hole in that. Yeah. I, I think I was, kind of a little bit cowed by it mm. growing up we were super status obsessed yeah what did your parents do for a living <sighs> we're sat we were status obsessed because we were status insufficient we were status okay. insecure right yeah. uh so my sep- my uh, I don't know, my parents separated early okay. my dad uh he had retired like in his early 40s and he was running a they were, i was born on a farm a sheep farm, but like with longhorn cattle and he was farming and then they got divorced. Uh, and then my, my mother was like a speech pathologist and she'd come out of some severe poverty, right? Okay. Like first in her yeah. of eight to come out of the, you know, come out of high school. Wow. So she did very well for herself in the eighties. Mm. Um, yeah. And then she had some health problems that fell apart. And then she, 
we got into like, I don't know if you call it like pyramid scheme and bezel type stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was a change and changing roster of live-ins and husbands. And yeah, you know, there's sometimes we're like, Hey, we're going to leave in 48 hours. So take what you need. You know, there's a lot of that. Um, so there's a lot of this sort of like weird displacement and then trying to, all right, you know, fit in in a new school. Yeah. And the way we do that was with clothes. So I remember we'd go and spend, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old kid, and she came home, and no, I wasn't 14, it was like 16 when this happened, 16, yeah, and she'd gone, and we were high on the hog for a few weeks, and she'd gone and spent money on like a $450 pair of Ferragamos with like the crocodile on the top, but she's like, I couldn't get you all crocodile, because that was like 1200 <laughs> and I was like, that's great, but then it's also like, but I know in a month from now, yeah. we're going to be having ramen. Yeah. In my Ferragamos. So there's always this weird, <laughs> and I'd always, I'd always be dressed way fucking better than the other kids yeah. for like three days. Hmm. And then on day four, when it's the same <laughs> outfit, I was like, what, what's going on? Oh, he has three really nice outfits. He tricked us. And kids are such like status obsessed. Yeah. You know, like little, we're just gross, yeah. right? Like they're terrible that way. Um, especially teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it became this recurring thing of like, Oh, this, I'm so they look at me, the new kid with like these fancy clothes, Yeah. but I know by Thursday I'm fucked, <laughs> you know, uh, or whatever. Right. Like, uh, so I was always, I think for a while I was really hmm. status. I had status anxiety Yeah. and then I went to work in the city and, uh, I ended up working with like the, so many people have it yeah. almost everybody I worked with had it. Mm. And these were people that were, you know, gajillionaires, you know, yeah. from, you know, I, I don't know, every celebrity you can think of to the Cokes, to the Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. There's, you know, you always hear like the stories of, uh, meeting a celebrity or somebody, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. and Vince Vaughn's in Syracuse right now. Oh uh, yeah. Filming. He's got a bad reputation. Does I, he? For like not being a pleasant person. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's I, who knows? Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, right. I just hear stuff from people like in industry. I don't know. Uh, he had a bad day. Who? I don't know. Yeah. It's not fair to say. There's so many celebrities and like bands and whomever that comes in town that stays at the hotel Syracuse. Okay. And, um, cafe cabal has a, shop down there and that's, okay. that's who I work for. And so, or at least the nine to five job. So, um, we were just there Thursday morning and we were doing something as we were doing the downtown Syracuse free coffee thing. Uh-huh. And Vince Vaughn comes walking into the cafe and he has like, not that it matters, but it was just ironic. I think like Walmart gym shorts on that are like beat up and like stained and, like yeah. this ratty t-shirt and his hair is like soaking wet and he uh-huh. has this arm full of like disheveled papers and a MacBook. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh-huh. he's asking for a coffee and I like turned and I saw him and I was like, I turned back around. I was like, that was Vince Vaughn. It was just like this trying to comprehend that Vince Vaughn was just standing in this cafe that I'm constantly in taking pictures of coffee and latte art. And mm-hmm. Then I turned around and I was like, I don't know what to say to him, but I feel like I need to say something. I was like, what's up, man? And he was, how's it going? That was it. Yeah. You know, but we, there's this like, when you have somebody that you 
And not that I necessarily look up or, you know, like Vince Vaughn is a hero. But, but you know who he is. And yeah. So, yeah. But there is this weird. It is weird. Social thing that happens. Yeah. I think you're just so used to. I was thinking about this. Like I used to run. I used to work at the, the Vanity Fair party after the Tribeca Film Fest. Mm-hmm. And it was really like 600 people. And like, you know, everybody in the room, like everybody's yeah. recognizable. Right. And it wasn't sort of like, oh my God, I gotta get, like, I'm really into mm-hmm. that person. Like, I'm not really into anybody. Right. Um, but maybe there's something like, oh, I've just seen your image all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're just part of the, right. like, it's a little bit like cognitive dissonance or something. To be yeah. Like, oh, you're like in 3D and you're yeah going to the bathroom and you're, right. you know, eating food. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I no. had that. I used to live in Central Texas, and I was a stage manager. I think you'll find this funny. I was a stage manager for a mega church out there mm. for two years, and a stage manager for a mega church. Yeah, yes, that is actual official. Paid of course, title. it is. Yeah, they need they need that. That's a serious performance. Yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, you know, thousands of people through there, and every weekend, and light shows, and the whole nine. Ooh, yeah. And I really enjoyed that job. I mean, I it was great. Um, yeah. Oddly enough, I really enjoyed it. It's Ta- not boring. It's definitely not boring. And if anything, it taught me how to just get a job done. Because you'd be in the middle of this production, mm-hmm. and everything's timed. And yeah. if the main person said, this has to change uh, before in like 30 seconds before I walk on stage and start talking... It didn't matter how it got done or who did it. It just had to get done. See, and this is where I feel like I'm getting soft because I haven't lived that life now for like five years. Yeah. And I had this like simple event the other day that Mm -hmm. I had to pull off and like things started going wrong and I couldn't, I was like, wait, I'm out of practice. Like this is, this is an event I would do Mm -hmm. blitzed Hmm. back in the day. Not that I got, I, I but I could have, right? Like I could have done this event like on, you know, on crutches, right. like blindfolded. And I was tripping up. I was like, you get, you get soft. Do you think, you know, when you don't, when you're not yeah. managing, uh, events or, 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 or mega church right. stages. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> That's so wacky. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I kind of, I didn't grow up in the mega church environment, thank God. But, um, you know, I spent a, those two years there and, mm-hmm. you know, it was very interesting for sure. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, but having said that, it was such a big church in such a small area of the world that they would have all these like Christendom superstars come in. Uh-huh. And, you know, you would see people walk in who, be, especially being in that culture, in that society, you're like, wow, I see that person all the time. Their record is for sale on iTunes. Uh-huh. And, yeah. you know, Justin Bieber just went to their church. This is unreal. And I always like tried to make it a point to just be normal around them. I'd be like, I'm such a huge fan of yours. And, you know, here's your microphone and you're going to go to that X on the stage. And, uh-huh. you know, there's your clock. And, you know, again, such a huge fan. But I tried and, you know, everybody in that culture is like pastor and bishop. And, you know, it's like, oh, yes, let me carry your bag and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just tried to make a point to be like, hey, how's it going? Here's your mic, and there's the X, and please don't go over your time limit. People, people need that. Yeah, they do. I was at uh, God, did some one of the Jonas Brothers. I don't know which one, mm-hmm. right? There's some party at their house in Chelsea or their apartment in Chelsea, and they had this 
fellow, God, he had to be like 50. He was, he was bald and he was like the handler, mm-hmm. right? And he was just so like, whatever the Jonas brother it was, he was like, yeah. yes, you know what? You know, so obsequious. <laughs> and just like, oh, so-and-so, I, Nick, let's just say, right? Yeah. Needs this and this and this and he needs it right now. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Like, give me a minute. Like, he's he's a what? He's like twelve. Yeah. I'm not. I can't. I can't. Um, you know, jump for this dude. Um, it just people yeah. they they fall so quickly into that uh, adulation and that. Yeah. You know, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 easy to even get. I find it's easy for myself to get caught up with those things for my own stuff, Mm. you know, to like make myself that person in my life. And, you know, this has to get done right now. And I I don't have time for you. I have to sit here on my phone and do this because I have to make this post. If I don't make this post, you know, like that's the biggest. If you don't make that post, the world keeps spinning (laughs) and you're going to die. And there's people will come after you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is this sad point in the life of someone who lives on their phone like I do. Uh-huh. It's like smoking. I don't know if you've ever smoked, like been a smoker before. Yeah. I was. Ooh, I love smoking. Uh, I fucking love smoking. Man. Do you smoke now? No. It's been um, like 13 years, so I, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm clear of it. Yeah. I quit a uh, year and a half ago, over a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. My fiance, when we first started dating, like we each had... We each had our own, this is a big deal. And uh, for her, it was that I smoked cigarettes. I smoked like a pack a day. Uh-huh. And so uh, oddly enough, the like day after I quit, like or two days after I quit, I got pneumonia and was in the hospital, admitted to the hospital because of it. Like two days after I stopped smoking in cold turkey. Uh-huh. Um, didn't have any like need to have a cigarette after I quit. I just quit. But then two days later, I was admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. So, but it's been about a year and a half. Being sick helps. Yeah. It I does. got really sick. That's how I quit. Really? Yeah. I was, uh, it was my first, I never knew there was such a thing as a two day hangover. Okay. Um, I was like, oh, they suck, but they're one day. Yeah. And I think, and the way I got it, cause you got to think like I had a lifestyle where like I'd spend under a hundred dollars on alcohol a year. I don't think I spent $50 on alcohol a wow. year because there's just so much free stuff thrown at you. Yeah. You know? Um, so you drink a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when it's exquisite, yeah. you know? And there was one night where like I, a friend of mine had opened up a bookstore and we we're having a party for her and a glass of champagne and then a couple of cigarettes. And I got a hangover for two days off that glass of champagne. <laughs> and it was just, I think that like, I'd just been pickling myself, yeah. right? And mm. and carcinogenizing myself yeah. for so long mm. and so much that I was down for like two, three days. Yeah. But there's that time when you're smoking and, you know, you get sick. You know, you have a cigarette and you just feel like trash. Mm. And especially Ugh. when you're, you know, you have to push through that. Like I remember my cousin at the time who was slightly older than me and, you know, he was a smoker, you know, like he gave me one of my first cigarettes and I was like, Oh God, I feel like trash. I feel like, you know, Ugh. he was like, Oh, you just got to keep smoking through that. And then everything's fine. Just have like four more and it'll be okay. But definitely don't stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah don't, don't stop. that could never be the answer. Right. That's so funny that people tell you that. Right. Like, why don't I just walk away? Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I did. And you know, 
12 years later, I was still smoking, right? We're such a weird species. I guess other species get... Yeah. I don't know if you read Franz de Waal at all. No, I don't. He's a, a animal behaviorist. Okay. But he has these great things. He did a Joe Rogan thing, I think, okay. maybe about this, but about different animals and intoxicants and like oh, you know, really? talking about like fucked up leopards and yeah. elephants and like, so it's not just us, but yeah, we, uh, we, we got to alter our consciousness. Yeah. We're driven to it. I know. You know, I, uh, I've never been one to really experiment with a lot of stuff. Um, there's times where like, I'll just be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do this. Uh-huh. And, um, I'm not a big pothead or anything like that. I can't, I think it's been probably eight years since I've gotten high, uh-huh. but there's something about listening to Joe Rogan talk about like DMT and you know, like sure shrooms. And I'm like, that could be really, really good for me <laughs> Yeah. to think about. Like I was just listening to this show. This is actually, it's funny and sad. Uh, I was driving out, I went out to Utica two nights ago for dinner with my future in-laws and uh, um, Rebecca was out there for work staying. So I was driving back by myself and I'm listening to the episode with Joe Rogan and Dan Aykroyd talking about alien abduction. Cause Dan Aykroyd is all into UFOs <laughs> believes in it and everything. <laughs> and uh, I'm driving home late at night and all of a sudden I'm like looking in my rear view mirror as I'm listening to this podcast uh-huh. and uh, that night, usually we have a, we have a dog buddy. Usually he sleeps downstairs that night. Buddy was upstairs in my room because I just listened to that podcast, you know, but, <laughs> but he's talking about Joe's talking about like, you know, doing, uh, you know, having like consumed, I believe it's DMT in the past and like a certain way to do it and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And, you know, you need to be in, you know, it has to be facilitated, right. To really get into yeah. it. But how him doing that, he's, you know, he doesn't really hold um, any, he doesn't give any water to or uh, think that aliens, the whole UFO belief, holds any water because he knows that we're so insignificant, like things are so insignificant mm. from his experiences with that, with huh. these drugs, that why would this crazy life form even bother itself or worry itself with us? That's a big question. It is yeah. a big question. It has nothing to do with the Salt City Market or food, but oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but you know, I, I, you know, to get back to that, what do you feel? How do you feel? How do you view your role as in the uh, in this world of food and you know the culinary experience <sighs> here in Syracuse? I mean, I know that's you know maybe that's a big question, but. And I, I kind of I get it, like not to blow smoke or anything like that, but you're you're what you're doing, what you've done, and what you're doing with you know the Salt City Market. That's a really big deal for this area. I think I am the tech. I'm like a techie, okay, right? Like I'm the stage manager for, and Joel Austin. Yeah. is everybody that I meet, right? Okay. So it is really good to have somebody to make sure that like yeah. things run smoothly and that like you can scale that recipe, you can source that reasonably, we can sort of like hmm. Tetris out the kitchen schedule. Like you can bang a drum and say, hey, look at this. This is really interesting. Hmm. Um, this is something um, exquisite that you didn't know was was 
hidden from your view in your own city. Yeah. You know, someone doing these beautiful things behind closed doors. I think we are hmm. a species that, you know, maybe it comes from our, like our, uh, you know, back foraging, right? <laughs> Looking for grubs. We, we, uh, we're wired, I think, to, hmm. you know, that to find diamonds in, in, in rough places, yeah. right? And so I, hmm. I've, I even tell like people, like when I start starting this and go down the city, and I talk with like wealthy people who think nothing of just, you know, walking up and down Madison for the day, buying whatever they want, right? right. And I would talk with them about what I was finding, hmm. what I would go walking on, you know, someone's house at two in the morning, and then, hmm. you know, she'd had this, um, uh, uh, sort of technique and tradition and memory behind this salad that she was making this, this sort of like uh garbanzo tofu salad mm. um, with, with lime leaves and uh, dried persimmon and three kinds of soy sauce and sesame and like something you've never tasted mm. before. I mean like a salad, but that was also a dessert and, uh, and they, and then they'd it's sort of like listen. So, like wow you found a, a hidden something i'm mm. you've got my my ear so you know sort of finding private hidden wonderful things and, and yeah. then sort of platforming them has just been I, i'm kind of like i yeah my job is really interesting but i'm not the, actually the interesting one right yeah. like i just get to sort yeah. of you know coordinate mm-hmm. yeah do you view like especially with moving into salt city market where there's going to be these different food stalls yeah. for people to have uh, their own business. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, does it have to be, um, is the goal of it going to be to allow people that are running those stalls to be from a uh, different culture? Like when there's not going to be a cheeseburger place and a hot dog place, I'm, I'm assuming in one of the stalls one it's day. Funny you should mention that. Okay. So there's 10 stalls, okay. right? And these are, Contrast this to my lucky tummy, right? Mm. This is a one-time only thing. Yeah. Go back to my lucky tummy, right? Yeah. I'm going to pay you Mm. really well. Yeah. I'm going to guarantee that tickets sell. You're going to cook. I'm going to provide all that infrastructure, Mm -hmm. right? I'll go grocery shopping for you. We just got to talk through what it is, right? And I'll find those groceries if I have to go to Toronto, D.C., like wherever, right? When we have, right? Um, Can I I just want to ask, what was the hardest part about getting a crowd for those events? Or did they just show up because of what you were doing? You know, I would been living here a little over a week, maybe, mm-hmm. when we first put one on, because I'd been visiting up. This was yeah. like in May 2012. And I'd been visiting and sort of like connecting with people, going to people's homes when we'd, go, when we'd visit up here. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that like on Monday, we had sold 14 tickets because I'd just been sort of like trying to network and seeing who meets who. And it's like a pretty easy time to network in, right? Yeah. Like you, word gets around... So on Monday we sold 14 tickets and I was like, Oh my God, we've, I was just in like near tears with a bottle of Jim Beam. I was like, (laughs) we are, I committed so much money and we just bought a house and like all my money was committed to this. And like, I told Mm. people I would pay them well. And my thing was that I pay people very, very well, like extraordinarily Mm -hmm. well, because I came from this mindset of like, I'm the carpet bagger, right? Nobody knows who I am. Mm-hmm. A lot of these communities, I'm getting that they've been asked to cook for free yeah. for festivals and stuff yeah, in the past. A lot. Um, 
So I thought I'll come in and I'll just, cause I was used to throwing money at people, yeah. right? Like that's my whole job. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of latitude in my, in my previous employment mm-hmm. to say, hmm. you want hundred bucks, you want 500 bucks? Like this has to happen. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, uh, but that wasn't my money. It was yeah. a different one. It was my money. <laughs> right. Uh, and so we were really uh, stretched thin, committed all this money, and then like a pay, an article ran in the paper, mm. and then it just all worked out. Wow. Yeah, it was just, and then since then, gosh, I mean, the second one, oh, okay, the second one, we got rained out, and I was, I, I, I'd let people like, because I think I switched websites, and I didn't have a, I didn't have my e-commerce set up yet. It's like, oh, just call me, you know, just put your name down. And then the heavens opened up and it rained <laughs> and then all these people didn't show mm. and then I was like great so it took yeah. like I mean like a two thousand plus dollar bath on it yeah which sucked I didn't have two thousand dollars to throw around but whatever but yeah moral story is like the folks that cooked like they got paid yeah. right they had a lot of leftover food and I think that's sort of demoralizing right yeah. that was the second one a third one I think we were in a building which didn't have great Wi-Fi, and I was like, please let us just get to 200 this time. You know, mm. like I need to get to 200. Yeah. And we had bad Wi-Fi, so like I checked in the morning, then things went crazy in the kitchen, and I mm. went over to a Starbucks to get good Wi-Fi, and we were 416, mm. which when you're cooking for 200, is actually like, yeah, you got we prayed too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like, ran back. I'm like, ah, what do we do? But, um, and then since then, it's, it's always been like really fast, like, yeah four or 500 and then it it Hmm. takes a day to sell out i think the last event we did took no we did one where it's like Hmm. under it was like 35 minutes or something so it's it's fat now it's you know chunk along yeah so with my lucky tummy um i originally so i kind of was looking at moving up to siru to ithaca right because we wanted to we always thought let's start a multinational food court that just sounds cool folks are maybe making one or two or five things that they love right and i'd seen those food courts in uh vietnam and morocco and mexico and all over right and they weren't they weren't sort of like the sexy new thing i wasn't thinking about food halls at all right i worked in a food hall chelsea market and like i never liked i wouldn't even walk through the market i'd walk along 16th street to get to my office because i was really? like i didn't care it just seemed so sort of you know too posh, too yeah. touristed. I was like, I want something a little more low key. And somebody that's like speaking from like something that they brought from home. Right. Like not like a polished concept and everything. I mean, you could still have like sophistication and technique, but it's, it hasn't been put through the marketing rigmarole to quite that extent. Um, so why did you do that? Nithika stumbled upon uh, the North side of Syracuse visiting town one day, visiting the area. My wife has family. My now wife has family up here. I was like, I'm not, I don't know if I can move to Syracuse. I don't know anything about that. Um, I know Ithaca, you know, and I was used to sort of burgeoning cities, you know, cities like I lived in Brooklyn. I was in Seattle, uh, you know, places like that. Um, lived in San Francisco for a little bit, London for a tiny bit. Right. Like, so cities that were like humming, Mm -hmm. right. Shit's going on. Um, and Ithaca, like it worried me a little bit that it didn't have that. Um, but anyway, we were lost in the North side and saw people from all over and we'd been having this problem not being able to find talent. Right. I thought, Oh wow, there's people from all over. I gotta, I gotta 
we got to stick around, see what's going on, right? So one thing led to another. So My Lucky Tummy was from the, its inception really focused on refugee and new American communities, yeah. not because, not out of politics and not really out of trying to help people. I mean, listen, it's great to help people, but I did not come from the perspective of like, I need to help the poor, the poor refugees, which is also a very prominent uh, narrative, right? Um, not that all helpful, you know, not all assistance programs are that, but you, you know, I have a lot of friends that like work in aid in Africa and like, they're like, yeah, that narrative sucks, but it gets us money, but it's disempowering and, and it, it, it's, it's a whole tangle, right? Um, so I thought, okay, great. Here's a diverse, physically sort of proximate, um, t- physically tight, you know, sort of geographically cir- circumscribed uh, group of people, right? Like I could drive five minutes and be at anybody's house there, right? Um, and so that's what that's really why it was refugee and new American focused, right? Um, just seemed opportunistic. Um, and also, you know, on reflection, I, I think working with somebody that's been forcibly di- displaced and feared for their life and then come to a country and looked at funny and taunted. It, it's not unique to America. It's not, it happens everywhere, right? Somebody that you're, you look different. You, you're, you might smell different, right? You eat different things. Um, you dress different. Um, to have that person to say, I want you to cook that food that oftentimes probably somebody made fun of you about. Like, I want you to cook it. I want you to cook the best thing. I'm going to pay you really well. And there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to like freak out because they love it so much. And this, that was a really exciting thing did to you ever do. Uh, did you ever find anybody who just wasn't interested in, in that? Sure. So most people that weren't interested, I'd say like two out of three attempts were a failure. Hmm. Uh, my numbers have gotten a lot worse, by the way, with this market, <laughs> but I'll tell you about that in a second. <laughs> two out of three were a failure. So batting 300. 333. <laughs> Pretty good. That's a good uh, major league yeah, career right yeah. there. Um, mostly it was, I'll be honest, like mostly it was women whose husbands were like, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, that was a, that was a real mm-hmm. issue. Um, and I had to be really sensitive about how I signify hmm. as a, you know, I mean, being a white person sometimes gets you a lot of times gets you a pass in spaces, right? Where you would be looked at differently. Um, it's, 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 it helps in a lot of instances. How do you separate Um, that, that cultural shift though? Like, how do you separate, like when you run into that, you run into a family who you're trying to convince the wife to come and make food for all these people and get paid for it. And the husband is saying, no, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. How do you shift from like, do you just kind of, all right, that's their cultural thing or is it? you kind of go back to it like, well, really in, you know, the grand scheme of humanity that, you know, she should be allowed to do what she wants. Like you just, I mean, well, I'm not going to, I mean, what am I going to do? Right. And frankly, I'm like, I'm trying to put together an event. Right. So it's like, if you're not into it, I can't woo you to it. You're not trying to flight this cultural difference. Yeah. I mean, I gotta, I gotta finite resources. Right. Mm -hmm. And I gotta, I gotta get people lined up to cook. Yeah. And I'm also sort of, you know, I came from a life of, I would hire hundreds and hundreds of freelancers mm-hmm. and my attitude towards them was like, you don't show up for work. All right. You're dead to me. I don't care. <laughs> There's like so many people that want to fill your place. Yeah. And I shift to this situation where it's like, if you don't want to come to work and you flake on me, I'm fucked. Hmm. Right. Cause like, 
how, I've got all this food. I've played your, your you yeah. know, I've, I've, I've done all this work with you. Like it's the day before and you don't want to cook. Hmm. Oh, oh, <laughs> I can't go driving around yelling out the side of my car. Like, are, you know, right. are you from here? Are you from, like, that's, that's really scary. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I really need to, somebody to really like, not just, and I, I honestly, I can't like, it can't be anybody that's in it for you know, like the money helps. Right. Like, but it, it's not like a, it's, it's a, it's a one-time thing. Right. Like, so it's gotta be somebody that's like, I get this, I get why you're doing it. And I get the vision and I want to be on this journey with you. Right. Um, yeah, they gotta be, you know, and this, I would say it's very, that is one thing that's similar with Salt City Market. If you are reluctant, if you are like, eh, I don't know about this, like, bye, call me when you're ready because this is an incredible opportunity for people. And so I can't, I can't, if it's, you know, say we have 10 people in the market, I can't be motivating that person. That person's got to have talent and they got to have drive, right? If they don't have the English language, if they don't have, uh, uh, if they're not good with math, if they don't have finances, that's all, you know, we can remedy all that, like, or together we can work on those things, but I can't implant drive and talent. Um, now I will say that opportunistically with my lucky time, I was working with the refugee and new American communities because that's where I was seeing talent as we sort of, I got a little more conversant with Syracuse and who was around. I thought it was really good to not say, Hey, this is a refugee party, mm -hmm. right? Cause that's further sort of ghettoizes people and fetishizes yeah. them. So I loved saying like one of my, one of the first women I brought in to, to work with us, uh, was like, she's from Indonesia. Mm -hmm. She came from a very wealthy family from what I could tell. Um, student in SU and I was like great come cook with us and I was like I'll pay you too and like a few people have been like no you don't, you don't need people I was like nope it's the same for everybody you mm. get paid you want to donate it somewhere I don't care but like it's it's everybody gets paid um, but it was really cool because it was like it's not just doing that other thing of like oh the refugees are over there right and so I feel like that party got more and more diverse and some of the language is like, yeah, most of our people arrived here as refugees. Mm. Some arrived this way and some arrived that way, you know, like we, right. We're not, um, yeah, I, I think just, it can be a little, it, if had I stayed with just refugee talent, it would have been really, I just didn't like it. It would yeah. be more isolating framing people as like, you stay over there. This is a party for you. Right? right. And so I would even go further with salt city market, which is, yeah, because a lot of people I talked to that that came to my parties were like, would think, oh, this is going to be just for refugees. Now, something I really mm -hmm. worry about, which is why I spend a lot of time on the south side, is there is a narrative out there, mm -hmm. some it has truth to it, um, that refugees are celebrated as cultural ambassadors, and the black community are not. Right? Um, I think that I think there's truth to that narrative, but that narrative also gets blown out of proportion. So there are friends of mine will be like, Oh yeah, I heard the refugees get this and this and this, like you got a free car and you get like, you never have to work. And like, you know, it's rumors. we like, we, our species likes rumors. Right. Um, and so we've been trying to be really thoughtful about how we present this project to, it is, you know, that it is not just sort of international, uh, cuisines, uh, that it is, or not just refugee, people that have arrived as refugees right and ultimately what it really comes down to is who are you do you have talent and drive because i've met people that like have talent like 
can cook to the place. I mean, things that I've never dreamed of beautiful, beautiful things, but they're like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that, you know, or like, I want that, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm good in the kitchen, but the rest of it, that's a really rare beast that can run a restaurant, even in a, in a stall sort of stable setting. Right. And is so is each space going to be there for a year or two? Nope. Um, so the, the, there's not that churn built okay. in um, because I just don't know that the market is big enough to bear that, right? These are going to typically be, let's, let's say you got 10 foods just off the top of my head. I, I would say that, you know, three quarters of those are going to be something new that you haven't had before or might be new to your average Syracusean, right? Um, but we do need some stable things in there, some things that are like, for your kid, for your grandparents, for you, if you just, you know, I was getting a haircut yesterday and the woman was talking to me about like the best food she's ever had. She's like, what's, you know, just came up. She's like, best food I ever had was Tully's. And like, <laughs> she's talking about like Tully's and this and that on the Tully's mountain. And I haven't been to Tully's. Um, and she was like, you haven't been to Tully's? And she was, it was almost like, it's like when somebody says to you like, yeah, I never had soda pop before. You're like, yeah, what? Right. You, you just, I mean, you might not it's okay to not like it, but you never yeah. had soda pop. She was floored. She's like, what do you like to eat if you don't like Tully's? <laughs> like, I don't know how this is a weird conversation. I'm not sure how to like make, bridge this. Right. So we've, I want her to come over. Yeah. Right. So there's gotta be some offerings that, that speak to her. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there have to, it's really important to be, have black owned businesses. I think it's really important to, which we have not been successful thus far, uh, but we're neighbors with the near West side. Right. So like I've been really like, I think talking to Puerto Rican families and Cuban families, but nobody has yet sort of put their hat in the ring. Right. Um, and that's okay. It's a long road. Um, we'll get there, but the, those are two very significant populations that we need to have represented in the market and, and, and come and love the market. You know, this is not a niche thing. I mean, my lucky tummy, let's, I don't care if it's 500 people, it's 500 people once or twice a year, right? This needs to be every day. So it's got to speak to all of the whole town. Is there an, is there a uh, significance for you or importance in being so close to the hotel Syracuse? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's very significant. I mean, that's, they, they put, they, bet big on yeah. that corner. We're betting big on that, you know, the opposite side of the corner. Yeah. Um, I, well, I don't know. I, maybe it's too grandiose to say, but like you have people that are coming into town and then leaving town. Right. And when people come into places, they carry things with them. Right. Sometimes it, and sometimes they carry memes with them. Right. And that's what I would like that. That's a big population that's churning. That's carrying this meme out there. Right. Of like, I went across, I, I think you'd have to be crazy not to like go check the thing out across the street. If you were staying there and you had a few minutes, you know, yeah. I mean, the whole bottom floor is gonna be wrapped in glass. It's going to be a dramatically different building than you're used to seeing downtown. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's very attractive. I think that's, that was very uh, much on people's minds when they chose that, that location. What's the most, uh, you know, one thing I'm kind of getting from our conversation today and one of the biggest things I'm getting is that um, for you, it's not as it's not this like, you know, you're not the you don't feel like you're the champion of these 
disenfranchised people. You're no, just, I think there actually should be. I think there should actually be a, like an enfranchised person or or two. Yeah, I mean, I think it should be economically diverse. There's a there's a program out in San Francisco called La, La Cucina that I'm a big fan of. Hmm. One thing they do that we're not going to do is they say you must be a Latina woman making under thirty five thousand dollars a year to get into this program. Hmm. Right? We want to be we are sensitive to what people are making, but I think it's actually healthy to have someone in the market that's like in it with you. You know, fighting these same fights, trying to get their name out there. That maybe let's just say somebody's speaking. Uh, one of the ways that they're disenfranchised is their English isn't perfect. Okay, well, there is. Here's how about there is somebody whose English is really who's a fluent speaker and is really good on marketing themselves. Is there are there opportunities here for, you know, help, right? Um, and that help doesn't just have to come from upper economic ter- tier to to lower economic tier, right? Um, I work with a lot of people that are coming from, you know, that are materially poor and have figured out solutions to things. Uh, there's this um, design prof at MIT named Amy B. Smith. She's really amazing. She works in the Horn of Africa a lot. She works in Haiti a lot. And the way she characterizes the people she works with is not that whole fucking Sally Struthers narrative, like late at night where you're flipping past that, like I can't watch it, right? It's so horrible. And th- that is part of what happens, right? But a lot of it is like, she's like, you know who I work with? I work with geniuses. And so I take my design students over to, you know, Somaliland or Ethiopia and say like, okay, there's not a lot. Look at the ground, look what you've got around you and, and, and solve a problem, right? Go to Haiti and look at that deforestation. They figure, they figure out things with like how to find new sort of materials for burning and starting fires. Like now you need to figure this out or like water filtration or whatever it might be. And, you know, uh, people are, we are a plastic, clever species, right? And we can kind of forget that when we get soft with our $9 coffees, right? Um, but a lot of times adversity is, it does, brings out wonderful strengths in people. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of just get caught up in what you're doing and not in that day to day and not really think about what's kind of on the horizon or, you know, even where you originally set out to go. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how that kind of, and then just one little thing can change in your life or, you know, conversation or whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I don't know what I've been doing, but now I know I need to get back focused on this. Yeah. Yeah. Just reading, Googling you, Mm-hmm. And reading all those articles, the one thing that shifted that I, I came to realize about myself was, and now, you know, I have a social, you know, eight different social media accounts okay. on different platforms and yada, 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 prom- doing nothing but promoting locally owned restaurants in central New York. Yeah. Right. That's the goal of the business. That's cool. Get more money to local places and not to the chain or the yeah. franchise. And it's also finding new places and telling all the followers about it. Yeah. I There's times I won't drive to Oswego if I, if, even if I hear something's good because I don't want to go to Oswego because it's out of the norm. It's different from what I've been doing, whatever the case is. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking like there's somebody like Adam who's like traveling all over the world and trying these different things. And I won't drive 45 minutes to go try something different or interesting. Uh So I think if anything, you know, just from reading all of your interviews and things like that, I've gotten that I've gotten, okay, it's time to go try some different things. 
Yeah. I think that's, maybe. I appreciate that the, most people don't are not going to do that. Right. I mean, yeah. that's part of having a centralized spot. Right. Right. Um, I think we're pretty, I don't know. We get into our bubbles. Um, it's like, this is, what do people call this? Like a 15 minute town. Cause you can just get from one end to the other so quickly. But so few people cross these. It, it seems sort of culturally and experientially so much longer of a drive to a, a lot of folks. I talk to would be like, I won't go over there. That's crazy. How would yeah. I drive that far? Right. I don't know if my car could hold up. I was like, it's 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like, or, you know, intimidated by the neighborhood or something, you know? And it is hard. I mean, I'll be honest, like the previous pro- project I had with love and now this project, um, they, these are, uh, happening in neighborhoods where there is dramatic suffering. Yeah. Very visible on the streets. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was just driving by, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I was just driving by with love the other day. Yeah. And every time that I've driven past there and I recognize it, I'm like, that's where it is, you know? Cause I mean, you have Osti right there that just went out and you know, it's just, yep. it's not a, I mean, it, to th- saying that immediately I'm like, it's in Syracuse, you know, but it's in downtown Syracuse sort of, but I mean, it's like you drive past it. You're like, that's where that place is. It looks so different. And the 400 block is a, is a, is a rough. tricky block for people yeah. to wrap their heads around. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it, it's, it's like there's people, you're not supposed to say it, but the, it, there's a lot of people suffering on the streets and there's not a lot of other people on the streets, you know? Um, and these are, um, these are comp, these are hairy problems. Yeah. You know, these are, these are tough ones. Yeah. I mean, it's just easy to be a NIMBY, right? And be like, but, uh, I think there's a few different, you know, there's, there's obvious, it's, it's, I would find it hard to do what you do and maybe have that mindset of not trying to be the hero, not trying to be like, I'm going to take these people and bring them up here because of what I'm facilitating. Yeah. Well, them. I mean, the people that I'm talking about, like are largely like, so the, the streets are mostly folks that, are, you know, it's this weird convergence over on that corner that I've, I've talked to a lot of people that come from more conservative cultures, mm-hmm. particularly since the African market is on the corner there. Yeah. Um, so you get like, we don't have the women that run are from Ghana, mm-hmm. but you get a lot of Congolese, Sudanese, lots of Somali families go there. Yeah. Right. So these are, I don't know. I know some pretty, especially people that come from the city in Congo are not that conservative, but like by and large, it's more conservative cultures. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you're working with, uh, you know, people on, they're converging with people that are coming down off stuff mm-hmm. or dealing with mental health. And, yeah. you know, I think everybody's trying to wrap their hands, their, their heads around how do you, how do you deal with this? Yeah. And it's not a pretty thing. Right. Not at all. Um, and it's not a probably, it's not an easy thing to sort of like try to get, you know, increased funds, increased capacity to, for human services, right? Like that's not the most popular cause. You know, I've had friends that have worked on that and they, it's not the sexiest cause, you know, 
So they're never, they're never going to have enough money and enough resources in that, in that sector. That's a tough one. Yeah. But I am definitely not, God, I really, I really chafe at, at this idea that I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. I really, and maybe I shouldn't, but I'm, I don't think I am. And I really want to be in that space of, um, I think like that, that designer I talked about, Amy V. Smith, she's like, I work with geniuses. I work with people that have got like 90% of what they need. They need that 10%, right? Um, I, I, my full job right now is to work. I, I'm looking for superstars and superstars, like just people that don't have that other 10 or 20% and that we can help with that. And some of that's just like the boring stuff, you know, frankly, the upfront capital, the, you know, some of the trainings around food safety and how to hire people correctly and, yeah. uh, uh, sort of SOPs if you haven't worked in a restaurant before you know just the stuff that'll make it run smoothly but Hmm. we're looking for people with magic yeah so I know the the hope is to be open is it the spring of 2020 fall of 2020 yeah we're starting construction on the 30th of this month okay Um, we have uh, what else we have this month we have a pop-up next month October 19th yeah at the rail line yeah yeah I saw that Uh, that looked pretty cool Tickets go on sale October 4th. That's a Friday morning at 10 a.m. Okay. And they, they usually sell in about an hour. So Yeah. Um, and people can find out a lot of information on, is it saltcitymarket.com? They can find out information at saltcitymarket.com. Okay. Yeah. We'll announce our cuisines uh, uh, shortly here, the next okay. week. They're going to be, but we go from Africa to Asia to hmm. desserts and three takes on soul food and yeah. Lots of cool stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming down today. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you. All right. Well, there it is, folks. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I had sitting down and recording it. Such a great time with Adam. Make sure you check out saltcitymarket.com to learn more about what they're doing over there. As always, do us a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button and then leave a review to let me know what you think of the Eat Local CMY podcast. It means so much to us. You can now follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Actually, cool part about the podcast is that we record every episode, audio and video, and upload the video over to YouTube. So head over to YouTube and just search Eat Local CNY and find us and then take a look at the video for each episode. Head over to eatlocalcny.com today to pick up your Eat Local CNY card and buy your tickets for our big party on October 11th. And we have a new texting platform. This is just for super fans of Eat Local CNY. We're going to release the podcast out to you early before everybody else gets it. We're going to send you exclusive deals to local restaurant that nobody else is going to see. And we're going to let you know some great information and restaurant recommendations that we have. Just send us a text. Send me a text because you're going to be texting me directly. 315-284-5855. That's area code 315-284-5855. Send me a text. Get added to the group. Very exclusive, though. Only open to 100 people. So make sure you're one of those hundred. Well, thanks so much, everybody. We're going to catch you at the next episode.